Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you've found the place where we talk horses. Today we have a previous guest on the show, Gabby Diacon. She's the owner of GMD Training and Yoga for Every Equestrian. Her mission statement is Mindfully Empowering Equestrians. Good morning, Gabby. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Yes, thank you so much for having me back. I really love being on this show. I want to just kind of catch up. It's been almost two years since you've been on the show. Last time we talked, we were right in the middle of, uh, I think, everybody was quarantined and sitting at home, not being able to do much of anything. And you came through with uh, yoga for every equestrian. And now that things are kind of loosening up, I wanted to catch up with you and see what good stuff you're doing now. Yes, absolutely. My goodness. It feels like 10 years have passed and none at all at the same time. I feel like COVID has had that effect. I don't remember anything that happened in 2022. I have no markers to do it. I mean, I had a good time for the most part, but... <laughs> I, that's exactly it. There's no, there's no succinct like mile markers. That's very true. My birthdays, I keep forgetting how old I am. I right. think I lost a couple of them. <laughs> So I'm sure that your yoga practice has expanded uh, since then. I, I even noticed that you're doing a podcast. Let's start with how yoga is for equestrians has changed for you uh, since we last talked. And what's the latest today? Yes. Oh, goodness. The two years, like I said, it feels like it's been forever and no time at all. And what I've really noticed throughout quarantine is a lot of people have been experiencing that fear and anxiety in the saddle or maybe less of it because they get more time at home but it's really opened up this door to a totally different conversation and how my program originated was and I believe I shared this in the last podcast but or it's very personal so I do of course share my personal story but my mom had passed so I went and got my certification to teach yoga, which was extremely eye-opening and helped me so much through my grief and changed the way I rode, changed the way I went about everything. From there, after I had already had yoga for every equestrian, I got very sick for a year. They didn't know what was going on. It was affecting my joints, so I couldn't ride as much. And all of those old feelings of impatience and frustration really came back. And it wasn't until I found... Uh, somatic work, which is really tuning into the body. And I found like this a complete, and yoga is all about tuning into the body, but somatic work is, is the same, but different. So you really embody feelings, you embody emotions. And instead of pushing things away, which I think a lot of times we go into mindfulness or any sort of yoga, and we're like, cool, let me just, let me just push away all of the bad things that happen. But I was really forced to sit with everything and face it. And it really changed a lot of the things I approached with horseback riding. And I remember I was sitting down and I couldn't teach, I couldn't ride, and I had to really take care of my body. And as I was going back into it, something, this whole program just like, it just appeared. I don't even know how to explain it. I was writing and it all just came out and it was much more focused on a authenticity, which I always try to focus on, but I don't even think, you know, when we are in the middle of something, 
being authentic, you don't even notice if it's fully there, if it's fully not. Um, so the mindfulness just really took on this authentic side of it's okay to be imperfect. It's right. okay to have fear. It's okay to be frustrated, whatever it may be. So this kind of really redesigned everything I did from the bottom up, including the yoga. I still, I mean, yoga is the foundation of it because I think it's really important to be able to tune in during the time that I was ill. I couldn't actually do the physical parts of yoga because my body was so weak. So I've learned how to integrate a lot more of the breathing and the sitting with things and the meditation and the kind of just being stuck in the places of discomfort. I like what you said about authenticity. You know, when something's fake, we can really easily spot it. But when things are authentic, they're so natural that you don't always see it. And it just feels like a, like, and I'll bring it back to yoga, but like a flow. Like you're just, it's just in flow. There's no forcing. There's no feeling like you have to impress the wrong, the wrong clientele or the wrong people like everybody has that perfect group that just works for them right and and how does this affect your horsemanship i think the perfect example and i'll just bring up a horse i have in right now her name is millie that was her temporary name but it's stuck she is a five-year-old gypsy vanner and she has never been touched and i don't know too much about her background unfortunately but all I know is they said she was rarely handled. And from, from the way she acts, I think if she was handled, it wasn't in the most patient manner. Because she is extremely skittish and very nervous. So I have to be extremely patient with her. Patience is one thing, especially with horses. I just, this morning, she really needs a hold her on because she's, she's only been here for about a week and a half. But obviously in order to start really taking care of her, getting her feet done and all that. I'm in a little bit of a timeline to get her halter on, to get her comfortable around people. And it's that fine balance between that timeline and accepting the pace that the horse needs to go. So this morning, or not this morning, about two days ago, I went out. I said, okay, today's the day. You know, we're going to get the, we're going to do all these things. I had this whole agenda in front of me. And of course, you know, I, I went out there and nothing on that agenda went as planned. <laughs> that is always just, the way. <laughs> always, right? And of course, I preach that. I tell people, I'm like, there is no, we can't get into with the end goal. We have to be a part of the process. But here I am just going, like, all right, this is the end goal. It's going to happen today. And of course, she, and she is just such a beautiful teacher because if you aren't in your most perfect presence and patience, she just, she can't end up with no, I can't blame her, you know, we're, to her, this is all new to her, and she's like, oh my goodness, this is petrifying, I said, okay, and I, I remembered, I said, it's okay to be imperfect, it's okay to just, you know, to go out of here and feel a little bit defeated, that's okay, and it's also okay to be patient, and to understand that it doesn't define anything about yourself as a horseman, or, you know, so there's always that, that internal speech, and I was saying last night to my yoga for every equestrian group, which I do have every Wednesday night live at 7 p.m. Central. And we can get into that later, too. But the replays are on my website um, for a membership. But I was saying to them, 
my first and foremost career is a overthinker. So I think I was like, that's been my job since day one. I'm good at it. I know how to do it. So I think that's why I relate so well. And I have a mindfulness program because gosh, I know about overthinking and mm-hmm. getting in our heads. Today, I didn't have any time planned. I just walked out there and was standing with her and I was filming a breathwork video and she was just super, really responsive and just wanted to stand in the middle with me, which as we know is worse than the reason we do it is, gosh, it just feels so good when they just choose to be there. And I had no, absolutely no agenda. I said, you know what, I'm just going to grab the halter and see, we'll just see how it goes today. And of course, it went right on. <laughs> I think it took oh, me very cool. 10 minutes out of the last session. It's just, it's, she's just such a beautiful, I think that she came to me to remind me of really what my program is about because she is such a beautiful teacher of just being in the moment and treating them all as individuals and under, and I really just today put myself in her hooves, if you will. And it, it just felt like such a connection part is really, it's why I do it. And it just, it felt so good. I think Millie would explain the program the best. <laughs> and it's interesting that you would say that you were shooting a video because usually when I bring out a camera, the horse does exactly nothing what I want it to do. But I also think that, and just to make your point, that a lot of the times if I'm focused on the camera or the shot that I need to make, I'm not present with the horse. And I think the horse sometimes feels that and says, Hey, come get back to me when you're uh, when you're ready to focus. Yes, I could not agree more. I bet you if I brought that camera out to do a haltering video, there would have been no halter involved. It would have not gone as planned. But I think you're exactly right because I brought the camera out to breathe and to go over a breathing exercise. She didn't feel my energy shift of going, hey, we're doing this right now. Right. That's such a good point. In your Wednesday night classes, tell me a little bit about those. How long are they and how many participants? Are you aware of the other participants when you're doing the class? I'm actually so glad you brought that up. It is an hour Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, which I know I believe you're two hours before me. It has formed over the years. I think my yoga classes used to be a bit more active and a bit more focused on stretching the muscles and activating the muscles that we need for riding, which I still incorporate because I just love to learn. I'm I'm an equestrian nerd. I think it's really cool to notice how our hip flexors help us engage our core. So we touch on all those things and we stretch in a much more restorative and gentle way because I think as equestrians, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I think we're already in industry, a sport, and just the type of person (laughs) in my experience that wants and expects perfection, which is ironic because we work with animals that have their own minds. Mm -hmm. You know, the perfection is, there is no such thing. (laughs) So I really try to make it a moment to not feel like you can get, like there is no opportunity to get anything wrong. Each week, I really like to bring a bit of my mindfulness programs into the yoga So last night we spoke about fear and the fact that fear is not a bad thing. I have an amazing dressage instructor and I don't think she'll mind me mentioning her name because I always speak so highly of her and she's one of my dear friends, but Holly Winklejohn, she brought me into Western dressage and dressage many years back 
And she was one of the first trainers that I worked with that made the lesson so incredibly achievable in the sense of I, she couldn't get mad at me. And she just changed the way I rode and she has so much to do with everything I do now. And so me and her will have discussions and sometimes we'll put it on Facebook live, but mostly we just end up going into tangents, which I'll try my best not to do because I tend to be a rambler. But we talk about how fear is something that when we're really little, you know, we'll jump off of a swing set and we'll jump around, we'll do all these things and our, our, you know, maybe we'll break something and hopefully we won't. And then as we get older, we go, oh, you know, these brain cells start to evolve and we start to go, oh, I have things to preserve. I like to keep my arms where they are. I like to keep my ribs in place. And we start to get a little bit safer. And that's not a bad thing. That's that's evolution. That's how we stay alive. A lot of people will start to notice that as they get older, they start to get a little bit more timid. And I just think the way that she phrases it, is incredible. I mean, she just really has a way to tell people that it's not a bad thing to get safer as you get older. So a lot of it is a big perspective change and creating safety and boundaries for ourselves. Not everybody has to get on every horse. If there's a horse that we don't feel the safest around, there may be somebody out there that that is the perfect fit for them. I think that there's a lot of this, a lot of this expectation that if you feel fear, then you're not, you're not brave. But I think that setting boundaries and keeping ourselves safe is one of the bravest things we can do. And that's one of the reasons I like talking to you so much is that, you know, you're down to earth. You'll make fun of yourself and you'll, the mistakes that you make, you'll, you'll acknowledge. And we should be more timid as we get older. You know, when I fell out of a tree when I was 10 years old, I just kind of bounced and got back up and I was maybe <laughs> sore for a couple of days. Now, if I fall out of a tree, uh, you know, it's probably a hospital stay. So, yeah. so I think that timidity is, like you said, it's a survival skill that hopefully keeps us going so that we can eventually do more, not less. Yes. Oh, I love the way you just put that. We keep ourselves safe so we can do more. There is no reason to put yourself in a situation that's going to take you away from your passion. I think that that was such a beautiful, that was such a perfect sentence right there. I might steal that from you if you don't mind. (laughs) By all means. It's funny because when I first got back into teaching, and I'll share, like I said, authentically, I started to get, I, so I started off hunter jumpers and I did jumpers and I was never the most skilled at it, but I always worked really hard at it so that eventually I got to the point where I could train and I could teach and I learned from some amazing people. But there is something I, me and jumps, even at my best when I was really educated, uh, you know, I got kind of sick of having my ribs leave my, you know, move out of where they should be whenever, you know, something went wrong or I fell. And a few years back, I went, you know what? I really like dressage. Why keep forcing myself to jump? If I mean, it's fun and I'll still jump a horse I really trust. But I felt, I feel like all this pressure as a professional 
that I had to keep doing it. I had to persevere. I had to keep jumping. And then exactly what you said, I was getting in situations where a more skilled rider would probably be fine, but I was falling and hurting myself. And then I had to take time off from doing what I love. So now I do dressage full time, which of course there's still fear. There's always fear everywhere. And, you know, whether, and some people think jumping is less scary than dressage or, you know, and there's, it's almost, I think horses have disciplines they love. I think people can have disciplines that they love. We could try them all. There's no one set rule, but it was so liberating just making jokes. Like you said, just being like, yep, I, when people ask me, I'm like, I don't jump anymore. I really enjoy my ribs. <laughs> and that's just what I say. And it's that authenticity and that, that just being vulnerable, but also just feeling so freed from feeling like we have to do something in order to be a part of the sport. And I could not be happier. That's great. Well, you've got a new project going on since the last time we talked and I want to talk about that but but I want to tease it a little bit the woe podcast has a brand new sponsor echo gold saddle pads and so we're going to hear from them about their products but when we get back Gabby I'd like you to talk about your podcast rolling my third eye we'll talk about that right after this We're back, and Gabby, tell me about your Rolling the Third Eye podcast. I love the name of that, by the way. Thank you. That was my graphic designer is incredibly talented, and she's also one of my dearest friends, so she really helped inspire the name of that because with the theme of authenticity, I was in a very professional mode for so long starting my business that I think I lost a little bit of my, I like to think of myself as down to earth and, you know, I like to joke around with my clients. And then when people would see me on the internet, I feel like it became this super professional image. Um, so I wanted to create a meditation platform that just embodied fun. You know, we don't, it doesn't have to be so serious. As one of my clients said, which was probably the best compliment I could have received, but she said, I feel like we've done so much work on ourselves, but it hasn't felt like work at all. And that is what I hope to bring to every single mindfulness session that I teach because that the group and we just laughed and I forgot I was working and we just had such a blast rolling. My third eye became just funny because it's like rolling my eyes and also the third eye, which is the spiritual aspect of meditation and, they call that in the yoga terms, the third eye chakra. But I feel like sometimes too, there's 
so much pressure on ourselves. Like I said, so many times already, but in the question world, but also just in the mindfulness world. Like people are like, if you're not using this very certain type of this, then you're not meditating. And I think that that's silly. I think that we can all enjoy presence and mindfulness and just have a a certain humor going about life. Right. Are the podcasts, are they guided meditations? Yes, they are guided meditations. Most of them are around 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, So very digestible. Some are longer format. You do have to have a subscription for those, but it's only $5 a month. Those are yoga nidras, which could be a whole podcast in itself, but I'll give my fastest description. They are 45 minutes of a guided meditation, but 45 minutes is equal to three and a half hours of deep REM sleep. So that is the most effective time to change habits, to change belief systems, and to really put our body into such a state of calm that it learns how to tune back into the parasympathetic system. So the parasympathetic system is our rest and digest system. That's when we feel calm, when we feel at ease. What would you recommend for someone who's maybe interested in this but has no experience that wants to start someplace? How would you recommend they go about it? I do post free resources on my YouTube, which is GMD training. You can also get to my YouTube through gmdtraining.com. And there's a lot of short videos geared towards exactly that, just kind of wanting to get a feel for it. Mm-hmm. And to be totally honest, there are so many amazing resources with short meditations. And I don't think that there's anything specifically. I think doing something that you enjoy is the most important. So I remember when I first got into meditation and yoga, I felt like I had to sit down for an hour and I had to do all these things. And that's not very attractive to maintain. You know, that's not something... Right. If you force yourself to do anything. When you look forward to doing something, you go, oh, an hour? I got to commit a whole hour to it? You don't have to start with that, right? Exactly. And eventually, maybe you're going to crave an hour. You're going to go, I really hope I have an hour. So there's something I've been doing recently that is so easy. And also, I just love coffee so much. (laughs) (laughs) So I make a commitment to myself that in the morning, I will sit with my coffee and either listen to a guided meditation or listen to nothing at all and just sit with my thoughts. That is such a good way to just create one habit of being like with yourself, just taking a moment to be with your thoughts. It's really enjoyable. Like I look forward to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to sit down with my coffee and just think and just be. Let me ask you this, because as you were saying that with the coffee, it brought to mind my daily routine is to get up just before sunrise and go clean pens. And I find that, sorry, but I find that uh, very meditative. I come up with some of my, I don't, I won't say good at ideas. I come up with a lot of ideas while I'm doing that. Yes, that is one of the best places I think too and as I've gotten 
more into the mindfulness. I think I appreciate that time so much more than, you know, when I was younger and mucking stalls. I was like, oh, gosh, why do I have to do this? But now I'm like, oh, I can't, right? I, I could not agree more. And I think any moment like that, whether it be taking a walk or any time to just get a minute to breathe and to think is incredibly powerful. There's actually a book called Psycho-Cybernetics. Have you read it? Yes. I have it on my Audible list, as a matter of fact. I read it over Audible. And he says, one one of the things that really struck me was, think about a problem and then let it go completely. And the answer comes to you. And it just reminds me of, you know, when you're knocking pens, it's just, it's so true. When you're kind of just idling and doing something very stress-free and letting the mind just settle, that, that is when the best ideas come. It's like your mind is some somewhere else or, or your mind is, it gets in this, um, this rhythm where, you know, it doesn't take a lot of mental processing to, pick up manure you know you just look shovel dump look shovel. and so in the background your brain needs to do something else and it starts working on problems that you may have thrown at it the day before or the night before or whatever and it starts to solve those problems all by itself and you're right the book is psycho cybernetics and it was by maxwell maltz m-a-l-t-z it's an old book i found it a little bit thick on audible in some places but by listening to it it does kind of help bring out some of those uh some of that process and it helps you it helps talk about the power of the mind and how powerful your thoughts are to your actions yes I, that was a very, very big one. Not only is meditation an important part of of the mind-body experience, but what do you think about something like uh, creative visualization? I absolutely love it. It is something that I use in my personal life. And maybe uh, before we explain how good it might be, maybe we should give a brief description of exactly what that is, because some listeners may have a different concept than others. What's your concept of creative visualization? So ironically, I just said that mine is actually very different. I use it very differently. So the typical way that most people and even I was taught my mom was very big into visualization and positive thinking so it's usually taught to see hear like really get yourself into a meditative state where you can see exactly what you want to happen so if you have an exact goal in mind you visualize what it would feel like all of those things and it's become super interesting because Coming from that area and working with a lot of clients, that can be a little bit stress-inducing, which I will touch upon and this will all come full circle. But it's interesting because I think that with that, you know, we speak a lot about in my programs, that perfectionist mindset, we feel like if we're not visualizing perfectly, if we're not, you know, if the results aren't coming right away, if all these things aren't happening, then we're failing at it or we're not doing it right. We're not allowed. I think the biggest thing, too, is we're not allowed to change our goals and our plans and we're not allowed to change our dreams Mm -hmm. because that happens to me sometimes when I have this visualization and I keep visualizing it. And then I realize that my dreams may change a little bit. 
I'll be like, oh no, but I spent all the time visualizing like that can't be right. That can't be right. And I think that that's where it all comes into with this mindfulness is that kind of just that humor and that there are things in this world that just, they come into our lives and we're not, we can't predict every single thing. With the visualization that I work with, with my clients is first of all, we go into a meditation. So it'll be some sort of breath work, which Max Malt speaks about extremely well. He talks about getting into that very relaxed state first, which is super important. And then we do a little bit of the somatic work, which somatic work, again, could be a whole podcast in itself, but essentially it's moving ourselves out of our logical mind and our logical thinking a little bit and feeling into the body. I'll give a, a really prime example is if we feel butterflies when we're excited or nervous, right? That's very, everybody knows where we feel that. We feel that right in our gut. So our bodies really experience our emotions and our emotions really feel into our bodies. So it is really, really important to take into mind how the body feels. And, oh gosh, I had a, a woman who I worked with with this and it, it was just so profound because I realized I wanted this very specific thing so badly for so long. And then she asked me, she goes, how does that feel in your body? I said, stress inducing. And she goes, okay, so let go of it. How does that feel? I said, amazing. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that's not what you want. I was floored. I was like, well, I thought it. That's I have my must want it. And right. it's, I'm one of those people I get really stubborn. I'm like, no, that's what I want. I know I want it. And then my body goes, I don't think you really want it that much. I think maybe this is a path. And ironically, that was actually before I started this program. I was really competitive and I wanted to keep competing. And I still compete for fun. But it it wasn't, I always think I was making it way too much of my priority, which just wasn't fitting right with what I really wanted, which was super interesting. So first we do that. We go into the goals and the dreams. And I had one trainer come to me and say, before we started the visualization, their homeworks, we do it in a four-part series. And they had workshops once a week. The homework after the second workshop was next week, we're going to visualize. So I want you guys to come up with your goals. And she asked me, she said, I'm having a really hard time with this one. I said, you know, what about? And she said, I feel like I don't want anything else. And that's so hard for me. And I was so amazed by her words and the way that I said, because you have exactly what you want and that's beautiful. She had a beautiful facility. She had great students. She was so happy and so fulfilled. And she felt so much guilt about not having that next goal to strive for. And that was so profound. And a lot of the work we do too is we sit down with the goals. And so her visualization assignment was just to feel calm and allow herself to feel present. That was it. I think we feel this so much pressure to want more, to do more. And when we give ourselves permission to tune into the body and think about what fits right with us, it may be something different. It may be exactly what you think you want, but there's this way to feel into the body of, does something feel safe? Does it feel like you're excited for it? Or does it make you feel extremely stressed and overwhelmed? I think we need to change the name of goal setting. I think a lot of people hear that goal setting word and it's kind of a turnoff 
we all go grocery shopping. And if we go grocery shopping with just a mental list, we always screw it up. But if you write down a list, it almost always is less expensive, less time involved. You know exactly where you're going. You know exactly what to get. And But if you try to do it mentally, you always forget something at the store. So I think that's the way I think of goal setting is sometimes you have to stop Take time, write down what you really want. And because a lot of times you'll write down something and you'll look at it and you go, wait a minute, as a goal, is this really what I want? Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I think that's such a great way of saying it. And also with a grocery list, you can scrap something off if you like you don't need it or you don't want it. Right. And you can add something later. I think that's such a great, yeah, that's such a great way to look at it. But people talk about five-year goals and 10-year goals, and I, I, I tend to think that that's too grandiose. I find personally morning journal entry keeps me on track. I'll write down what I'm working towards, and then as the pages get flipped, I can see, hey, you know, what about this I was looking at? Well, it must not have been that important to me. Otherwise, I would be continuing to write down, I need to do this or I need to focus here. I love that. I do. I do my morning pages, which people can look at. There's a whole, it's artist way, but I just journal in the morning. So if I do the exact same thing, I will look back in my business journal and I'll go, oh, I had that idea for a clinic. And sometimes I look back and I go, oh, I should have, that's a great idea. Let me do that. But I completely agree where I'll look and something will seem so important one day. And then a few months later, I'll go, you know what? I don't think that was in line with, with what I want for my business. I'm glad I didn't continue it or I'm glad I kept writing it. And I think that's such a good point is, you know, sometimes our it, it does change. Right. But to also writing helps keep it in path at the same time. It makes it a little bit more concrete. When I journal in the morning, it's 10 minutes. I don't spend a lot of time. I just try to throw ideas out there as much as I can, how I'm feeling, what I'm doing, and what I hope to accomplish that day. So it does give me some sort of guidance throughout the week. Oh, I, lo- I could not agree more. That is such a powerful thing. Like you said, even just 10 minutes. Just to, A, it turns on your logical mind of going out of the emotion state if you're feeling overwhelmed. And the logical brain turns on and goes, okay. You know, kind of turns on that problem-solving brain so that you can logically look at things. Like you said, if you have an idea, or even sometimes, too, if you have a, a situation that's causing you stress and you write it down, sometimes it goes, oh, Oh, here's X, here's how I solve it. X, Y, Z. Yeah, exactly. We've talked a lot about mind-body experience. I think the mind-hand-pencil connection, it, there's something physiologically that happens when you're thinking and then there's a little part of that that kind of excites some neurons in your brain that help make it through the day. Yes, it is interesting. There's an alternate nostril breathing. I teach a lot of my riders. Because it activates the alternate nostril breathing, brings our brain back into balance. And it, I think the same thing goes with writing. I think you're exactly right. It is exactly what you're saying. When our motor skills are activated, it, it balances out our brain. That we aren't overpowering with one side of the brain. All right. Which makes us much more able to process situations 
And a lot of times, like I, I do that one a lot for people that are nervous to go to horse shows or to even just ride in front of people. That one is really powerful because it turns on that logical side of, okay, if I go and ride in front of these people and I don't do beautifully, that's not the end of, you know, that, that's just how it is. Right. So yeah, anything to to balance that out. I think that's such that's such a valid and great point about the motor skills turning on. It's been fun talking to you and catching up with you, Gabby. It's I'm not sure how much we talked about horses. We did throw a little bit about that in there, I think. It's been fun kind of exploring the the mental aspects of horsemanship and trying to to figure out ways to improve our lives. Horses live so much in the present and we can learn so much from that. And I think that's essentially what you're talking about. Yes. Working with horses is much more about working with ourselves. It's funny when we start to notice the more that we work, the more we improve our lives, the more we improve their lives. Right. And I've really seen that in my riders and my horses and they respond so much to us being present with them. Very cool. And so if people want to find out more about GMD training, where shall we send them? So my website is gmdtraining.com. There is the Yoga for Every Equestrian is on there. My private one-on-one mindfulness sessions are on there. You just have to send me an email. My other biggest platform is my Instagram, which is at Gabby Diacon, G-A-B-B-Y. D-I-A-K-O-N. And my YouTube is GMD Training. Plus my podcast, which is on all podcast platforms at Rolling My Third Eye, which you can also find the link on my Instagram and on my website. Awesome. I'll put all those links in the show notes at wopodcast.com too, so people can find them just about anywhere. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I always enjoy our conversations and they always take us places that are very interesting. That's what I like. You know, the podcast is about exploring different avenues and there's a lot of stuff to explore. I hope I never stop learning different things because life would get boring then. That will do it for this episode. Thanks to Gabby Diacon for sharing her experiences. We may have talked more about life than horses in this episode. My goal is to ride my horses for another 20 years. I'll consider doing anything to reach that goal. Meditation, yoga, gym workouts, and eating well impact my journey. Gabby has a wealth of information about yoga and meditation, and I enjoy talking to her. If you're struggling with fitness and flexibility issues, consider looking into one of Gabby's programs. Gabby's thing is to help. Help with your physicality, help with your mentality. If you want to try one of Gabby's online classes, click on the link in the show notes at woepodcast.com and use the promo code WOPODCAST. All one word, no spaces. You'll get to try your first class for half off. Give it a try. I'll have her web address, contact info, and other links in the description at woepodcast.com. Renee and I have been lucky enough to spend a lot of time in the saddle this year. My 22-year-old mare Jessie and I have been showing in our local ranch shows. I chronicle some of our horse adventures on my YouTube channel, John Hare and Horses, if you're interested. As always, if you'd like to share a story or experience about your horse or suggest a guest, 
Let's hear it. Send an email to john at woepodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Woe Podcast. It's great hearing from you. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and writing buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.